Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. I make it uh, 7.28 Eastern Time. God willing, we'll get started in just a couple of minutes, just doing our regular sound check. Confirmation that you can hear my voice, and we're coming through loudly and clearly. God willing, we'll get started in just a few minutes. Good evening, brethren. Welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Can you believe it? We've come to the end of the book. God willing, we will get through Judges 20 and 21 this evening. And then at the end of the study, uh, Pastor Murray is going to join me, and we're going to be open for a Q&A. Uh, ask your questions, hopefully, as we go through the study this evening. If you have any questions, you'll jot them down. But also, just through the whole book, uh, everything that we have covered so far, the different careers of the different judges, uh, any thoughts or questions that you have, we'll be happy to entertain those. We'll take those questions from Facebook, from YouTube, and also from cgi.online.church. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we will get into uh, the study for this evening, Judges 20 and 21, the conclusion of this book. Father, we come before you now, as we always do before we study, to, to acknowledge you, but also, Father, to ask for your help and assistance in digesting your holy word. We thank you, God, for all the effort that has gone into uh, writing these words and preserving these words and faithful teachers teaching these words through the generations. But we know, Father, that these words matter so much more to those of us who live at the end time, that these are written as examples for us upon whom the ends of the age have come, and so we pray, Father, that as we study the past, we would gain insight 
as to how we are to navigate the future and that our feet would be guided by the light of your word. We praise you, Lord God. We praise Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his guidance. And we ask your blessing now in his holy name. Amen. So we are up to Judges chapter 20. And uh, last week we had the uh, unfortunate experience of um, just reading the chats here. Great. Very, very good. Um, greetings, uh, La Relma from New bon Braunfels, Texas. That's wonderful. And uh, Christy Roman, wonderful. Brenda Ray, greetings, greetings. Wonderful to have you with us. Uh, yeah, so last week we, we went through that sordid, sordid uh, story of the Levite and his experience with, uh, with his concubine, which uh, we found extremely uh, distasteful. But it's in God's word. And so that's why we study it and we need to learn from it. And now we come to the conclusion of the book. So let's uh, read this together. Judges 20 and verse 1. So he, remember last week we ended with him cutting up his concubine into 12 pieces. He was a butcher, a Levite. He knew how to chop up animals and how to get between the bone and segments. And so he did this and sent her, her body parts to 12, the 12 tribes, including Benjamin. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 20, Then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation was gathered together as one man. So he got the reaction that he was looking for. They were like, wow, from Dan even to Beersheba, with the land of Gilead, unto the Lord in Mizpah. So, so all over Israel came, and they, they responded to the summons. And the chief of all the people, even of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 footmen that drew sword. They are ready. This thing has just, you know, well, we read it thousands of years later, and it, 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 it you know, we, there's a, we, we can't ignore it. It, it, it. it provokes a visceral reaction. And so you can imagine when this was uh, so fresh for them, how they would have uh, responded. So, but also notice this, 400,000 leaders came out. To, to deal with this issue. You know, when I was just reading in uh, Ezra, when um, after 70 years in um, exile in Babylon, that now the, the king of Persia made the way open for them to return to Jerusalem, to rebuild the Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And they, they could hardly gather 50,000 men. So, so they were just not very interested after 70 years in Babylon in going back and rebuilding Jerusalem. But here, they are very emotional about this. this. This could have happened to any one of their wives, any one of their concubines. And so they have a very personal interest in setting this right. And here we've got 400,000 leaders, never mind all the assembly, that have presented themselves together to deal with this situation. Now, the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel were gone up to Mizpah. Then said the children of Israel, tell us, how was this wickedness? So they wanted to, like, what, what happened? So they're talking to the Levite here. And the Levite, the husband of the woman that was slain. So, so, so I just want to, we want to read this carefully. So the Levite, the husband of the woman that was slain, answered and said, I came into Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin. So you remember he didn't want to stop in Jerusalem because it was the Jebusites were there, the Canaanites were there. So he made sure he went to an Israelite town. I came into Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin. I and my concubine to lodge. Okay, so far so good. And the men of Gibeah 
rose against me and beset the house round about upon me by night and thought to have slain me. And my concubine have they forced that she is dead. Now, I'm going to take exception to his characterization, his narration of what happened. Because this, to me, doesn't seem like what happened. Nobody said they were going to kill him, but they certainly wanted to humiliate him. But he's now changing the story that he's this totally innocent man, and he just happened to be in Gibeah, and they were going to kill him. Not only that, they forced his concubine, and now she's dead. But he's leading us to believe that they killed the concubine. But when he woke up, took his time, you know, he normally would get up very early in the morning when he wanted to get home, very early in the morning. But when he gave his concubine to the men to save his, his own skin, that morning he, he slept in. He took his sweet time getting up. And when he finally got up and opened the door, she was alive. And the author doesn't say that she died. It just said he said to her, up, and there was no response. She could have been unconscious for what she, the torture that she suffered all night. She could have been unconscious. Maybe she died on the way home, that she didn't get the immediate help that she needed. Maybe he killed her when he cut her up. But the author doesn't tell us that the men killed her. Certainly they forced her. But he was callous and cold and heartless. He, he leaves that part out. So he's kind of exaggerating the story now. They were going to kill him. And now they, they, they basically forced his concubine to death. Not quite the right story. But he knows how to manipulate the crowd. And he knows what reaction he wants. He, he feels violated. His pride has, is wounded. And so he wants retaliation. And so he tells his story in a way to stir up retaliation. And, and does, you know, chops her up and sends her. He knows what kind of reaction he's going to get. And I took my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel. Okay, now by admission, Levite that has taken a woman of Judah and made her a concubine. Well, hey, there's a problem right there. You're already going against the Torah. Not only that, he desecrated her body. What, wasn't he just um, in, in um, uh, Bethlehem, Judah, with her father in, in sweet fellowship, and the father was showing him great hospitality? And could he not at least have afforded to give this woman a decent burial and to honor her and to honor her father? But instead he, shows, he showed no care or concern for her while she was alive and shows no care or concern for her in her death. Desecrates her body and sends it throughout the country of, of Israel, throughout the inheritance. Now, this needs justice. This, this should be dealt with. But again, he's manipulating the masses, and he positions himself as if he's totally innocent. And, and they don't really care about his crimes. They just care that this could happen to them, and they don't want this. And so they're going to now rally. For they have committed lewdness and folly in Israel. Behold, you are the children of Israel. Give here your advice and counsel. So he understands exactly what he's doing. And we see what he's doing now in verse 8. And all the people did what? They arose as one man, saying, We will not any of us go out into his tent, neither will we any of us turn into his house. But now this shall be the thing which we will do to Gibeah. 
we will go up by lot against it. So as I said, he knows exactly what he's doing and how he's stirring up the masses by, by withholding information and spinning the information that he does give and inflaming emotions. And that's exactly the situation that we see ourselves in today. Whole cities are going up in smoke. Why? Because of false narration. Because of false narration. That now we have the, um, the transcript as well as the video footage of the arrest of George Floyd. It's, it's available now for everybody to see it. And when we see the whole story, it's not at all the story that was presented to us that this innocent man was just more or less minding his own business and the police are so racist and they just took him down out of their racial motivation. The transcript is available. The video is now available. We can watch the whole thing in context. It wasn't only him that they uh, arrested. He had two passengers with him and they were very civil and nothing happened to them. And he was stoned out of his mind and he was uncooperative. And he even himself asked, can you let me lie down on the ground? They didn't throw him to the ground. He asked to be put on the ground. And before he even went down, he told them he was having respiratory problems because of the, the, the drugs that he was on and, and, and the, the excited delirium that that causes. So when we get the whole story, we can be a bit more rational about how we respond. But when bits and pieces are given to us to manipulate us, then whole cities go up in smoke and we end up in civil war. And this is exactly what this Levite is doing. He knows what he's doing. He, he wants revenge. And so he manipulates the people to, to generate this civil disobedience or this civil war among the people of Israel. So, we, you know, there's, I was just reading, uh, or just watching as well, another video that's circulating on social media now of a, of a woman, a young black woman, who's arrested by the police. And they show four seconds of the arrest. And what you see is the policeman pulling the woman out of the car and arresting her. And that's all they show. And then they put the, uh, the narration with it that the reason she wouldn't come out of the car is that she was disabled and she couldn't walk. That is just so untrue. The, the, the video itself, I believe, is about 15 or 20 minutes. When you look at the whole video, again, totally uncooperative, policeman being extremely respectful, giving her multiple, multiple warnings. She's, she will not heed the warnings. And, and he did what he had to do. And when you look at the whole thing in context, he was totally reasonable. When you look at four seconds out of context, it inflames rage. And we are being manipulated. And we need to be smarter than that. We need to be smarter than that. And we need to make sure that we are getting the whole story. We're not just responding to part of a story. So this now, so they, they, they have part of the story and they're ready now to go to war. They're going to go to war against Benjamin. And we will take 10 men of 100 throughout all the tribes of Israel, and 100 of 1,000, and 1,000 of 10,000, so 10% of the men, to fetch food for the people that they may do. This, this is like we are going to tear, we're going to destroy these people. And so we need to make sure that there's proper supply chain uh, into the armies of Israel to do this. When they come to Gibeah of Benjamin, according to all the folly that they have wrought, in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, knit together as one man. And I'll say manipulated together as one man. They don't have the whole story that not only should the wicked men of Benjamin be tried, but this wicked Levite, this cruel, ruthless, nasty man 
faithless man should also be brought to justice. But because they're being manipulated by him, they don't see his wrongdoings at all. They're just now manipulated to go and, and begin this, this civil war because of misinformation, a misinformation campaign. These things are written for our examples, as examples for us. And the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin saying, what wickedness is this that is done among you? So this is a fair question. What, what are you doing? Like, what is this report? And Benjamin themselves would have gotten a body part. So they know that this is coming. What wickedness is this that is done, done among you? Now, therefore, and, and this is a very reasonable request. Now, therefore, deliver us the men, the children of Belial, these vain, useless, evil, wicked, ruthless men that are among you, give them to us that we may bring them to justice. These children of Belial, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and put away evil from Israel. That is absolutely correct. That is according to Torah. So that is the right thing to do. Give up these men that we can put them to death and this evil can be taken out of Israel. Now, will you believe it? What do you think these Benjamites will do? These are, these are children of the devil. These are worthless children. What, how will the children of the tribe of Benjamin respond to these worthless, worthless children? What, what's your guess? What, what, you know, if you were in this situation, how would you respond? He, they say, but the children of Israel, <laughs> this is unbelievable, the children of Israel would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. This, this is truly what we would call tribalism. This is, this is tribalism. That they may be evil, but they belong to us. They're, they're Benjamites. They may be evil, but because they have the same skin color as us, we will defend them. They may be Marxists. They may be atheists. They may be abortionists. They may be looters and shooters and murderers. But if they have the same ethnicity as us, we will stand by them, even against our own brethren. This is, this is wickedness beyond belief. What happens when people go tribal? And we're seeing here, the, we're going to see here the fruit of tribalism. So rather than Benjamin saying, yes, this is a wickedness in Israel, this is against Torah, we have to follow Torah, they don't care about Torah. They don't care about God, and they don't care about the covenant with Israel. All they care is, they may be awful people, but they're our awful people. And, and, you know, skin color or ethnicity uh, or culture or, or, you know, these things come first before Torah, before covenant. And we know that the prophecy says the time is coming when brother shall betray brother. We're going to put something ahead of the covenant. We're going to put something else ahead of the Holy Spirit. We're going to put something ahead of God's will, which means we're idolaters. We have given ourselves over to idolatry. We are no longer discerning the Lord's body. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. But the children of Benjamin, look at this. These are wicked, wicked men. Horrible men. Useless children of Belial. And what does Benjamin do? But the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the cities of Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Israel. 
And today we will have the same thing, that because of skin color or some other kind of carnal pride, we will fight each other rather than stand on Torah, rather than stand on the words of Christ. And so this is as it was in the past, past is prologue, so it will be in the future, so it is in the present. They gathered themselves together out of the cities of Gibeah to go out to battle against their own brethren. Brother will betray brother. And the children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of the cities, 20 and 6,000 men that drew swords. So these are military-aged men, so let's say between the ages of 20 and 50. You know, these are the athletes, physically fit men, 20 to 50 years old. They're ready to go to war. 26,000 men that drew sword beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which were numbered 700 chosen men. So there's another 700 chosen men. So let's say, you know, 26, 27,000 men. But in numbers, when they went into the promised land, how many did they have? These are the sons of Benjamin after their families, and they that were numbered of them were 40 and 5,600. So 45,600 were the number of men in Benjamin at the time that they went into the promised land. Now, this is obviously they've been slain. So they've, they've lost a lot of men here, 46,000 men, 45,600, uh, down now to 26,000 because of all the wars against the pagans around them, and they've lost men. Now, instead of partnering with Israel, the rest of the tribes, to take down these pagan tribes around them, to let's cooperate and work together and, and remove these pagans out of the land as God instructed us, instead of doing that, they are willing to go to war against their own brethren. They're willing to fight against their own brethren, even though they're surrounded by enemies. And again, as it was in the past, so it will be in the future, that you know, we don't care that we are surrounded by enemies. You know, the church of God is not the majority, we're the minority. And instead of sticking together and understanding that we're surrounded by, by demons and those who are influenced by demons, we would rather fight against each other then unite around the word of God and inquire around the word of God and say, okay, like this is what I'm thinking, but is what I'm thinking in line with, with, with the teachings of Christ? And, and if it is, let me sit down with my brothers and let's open the Bible and let's search it together and use the Bible to, to correct one another and, and to, to you know, f- advance our understanding of God's will. Or we go tribal and, hey, you're violating my tribe and my tribe is more to me than the Holy Spirit. So he goes on now to say, so, so there were, you know, now they're down to 26,000. You would think with all of these enemies surrounding them that they'd want to partner with their brothers in, in Israel, their covenant brothers. No, they want to fight against them over wicked men. Judges 20, verse 16. Among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. So they have their warriors But then they have this elite group of 700 men that are left-handed. And listen to this. Everyone could sling stones at a hairbreadth and not miss. So these are, they're left-handed warriors. And they're going to pick up these uh, these stones that are going to be pretty, pretty, you know, heavy. Think of like a shot put sort of thing. And, And there could be a hair that's in the distance. And they have such accuracy that they could hit that hair in the distance and never miss. These are dangerous men. You would think 
these sort of these are the sort of men that you want to take down the Philistines, that you want to take down the Canaanites and and the the Amorites and the Ammonites. We need men like this to do that. But instead of doing that, they're going to fight against the children of Israel and further diminish the population that could help them put down the pagans all around them and give them victory in the promised land. And the men of, men of Israel, beside Benjamin, were numbered 400,000 men that drew sword. All these were men of war. So these are now the, the men who are ready to fight against the 26,000 uh, Benjamites. And even that, you would look at that and you say like, wow, are you, you know, this is overwhelming force against a fellow tribe in Israel. There's no attempt here to try to negotiate, to try to work out a solution. No, we're ready to slaughter Benjamin. You know, they got 26,500. We've got 400,000. And we're willing to, to, to put them to sword and kill every one of them. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God. So it's typical of Israel when they're in crisis, uh, that's when they'll ask for counsel. And so they're going to ask for counsel. And more, more than likely, this is the, the Uman and the Thuman, the way of sort of casting lots to see what the answer of God is. It's not necessarily that God is speaking to them. They asked counsel of God and said, which of us shall go up to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. So however the lot fell, Judah shall go up first. So here we are at the end of the book, and I pointed this out when we were at the beginning in Judges 1, that look at the, the decline of Israel. Look at the degradation of Israel. Look at how they have defiled and humiliated themselves. Here they are in the promised land, and now at the end of the book, they're appealing to God to find out which one of us, which one of our tribes should go up against a fellow tribe. Here we are in the land of pagans, You've instructed us to come into this land and remove all of the pagan filth from the land, but we did not obey. And so now at the end of the book, our question is, which of us who are compromised now, we, none of us have obeyed you, should now take on our fellow tribesmen? And God answers, Judah shall go up first. Now, in Judges 1, when we began, after the death of Joshua came to pass, the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first? To fight against them. So they go into the promised land very focused, and we've got to fight against the Canaanites, and who should go up first? And God answers that Judah shall go first, and he, I've delivered the land into his hand. But now it's against a fellow tribe, and now Judah's going to go first, but it's not going to go well. This is against God's will. They should be fighting against the pagans, not against Benjamin. So Judah will go first, and that means Judah will be humiliated first and foremost and suffer the most loss. And the children of Israel rose up in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. These, these are children of the covenant in the midst of pagans. And instead of obeying God, cooperating with each other, and putting down the pagans, they are mollycoddling and mixing with the pagans and destroying each other. These are the children of the covenant. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. And the children of Israel came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground. So the children of Benjamin, 26,500 plus the 700 uh, marksmen, 
against 400,000, with Judah taking the lead. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day 22,000 men. Again, remember, these people are surrounded by Canaanites, by Philistines, by Ammonites and Amorites. But instead of fighting and cooperating and putting down the pagans around them, they've just taken out 22,000 soldiers. They are now weakening themselves even further. So 22,000 Israelites die, and the majority of them are going to be from Judah because they went up first. And the people of the men of Israel encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array in the place where they put themselves in array the first day. And the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up again to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother? And the Lord said, Go up against him. So Again, somehow God responds that they should go again. And so it's not necessarily for their, their benefit. And the children of Israel came near against the children of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went forth against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel again 18,000 men. So first we have 22,000. Now we have 18. We've lost 40,000 soldiers when we're surrounded by enemies and lost it at each other's hands. So, so Benjamin destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel again 18,000 men all these drew the sword and could have been very useful in taking out the pagans. And you get this sense like, um, you know, whenever these uh, powerful superpowers, um, Russia at the time and America, uh, whenever they would go into Afghanistan, they lose. <laughs> Could not win in Afghanistan because of the terrain and the geography and the, the locals who grew up there, they just know the terrain so well. So as long as we're going into Afghanistan, we can never we can never win a war in Afghanistan because of the geographical advantage and the advantage of knowing the terrain. I, I think it's something like this. You might have four hundred thousand men, but you're coming into the land of Gibeah, and the Benjamin the Benjamites know this land. Then so this is forty thousand men that they've lost now. Then all the children of Israel and all the people went up and came unto the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord. They, they just have no idea what is going on. Again, they, they think they're right before God. They're righteous before God. And God is punishing them. And sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. So now we're starting to get some true repentance, or closer to it anyway. And offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And you know, this is the formula. And we are heading into a very dark time. In fact, we're heading into the time of Jacob's trouble again. But this will be a time like it's never been. There'll, there'll never be trouble like this. And, and why this intense trouble for Jacob? For this very reason. Moses told us this in Deuteronomy 30, that when this intense trouble comes upon them, that they will finally deeply repent of their, uh, their rebellion against God and their rebellion against the covenant. So we see indications of the pattern here. So they fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. So obviously in the time of writing, it's no longer there. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, and that name should be familiar to us because when, they, when, they, when Moses went up and they were playing and involved in this, or these orgies, um, and, and you know, Phinehas was the one man who took the, sword, the spear and thrust through 
the, the, the pagan woman and the Israelite that were uh, copulating uh, openly and publicly uh, before God. And he put an end to the plague that, that struck Israel. So he uh, is an older man now, but he's the one now that stood before it in those days saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. So God had respect for Phineas's request. And I guess for the process they finally went through where they were now fasting and offering their burnt offerings. But before this, when you know Judah will go first and yes, go ahead, it was to their to their shame and to their slaughter. But now he's going to respond to Phineas's request. And Israel set, set liars in wait round about Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in array against Gibeah as at other times. And the children of Benjamin went out against the people, and this time they were drawn away from the city. So they're in very familiar territory when they're in the city, and Israel goes into their territory. But now the strategy is to pull them away from the city. Again, think of Afghanistan. If we could get them out of the mountains and into the open plain, then it would be a fair, a fair battle. They were drawn away from the city, and they began to smite of the people and kill, as at other times, in the highways of which one goes up to the house of God, and the other to Gibeah in the field, about 30 men of Israel. And so it's just a shame what Israel has descended into, this civil war. And again, all because of a misinformation campaign. And we're seeing the very same thing today. People are getting wrapped up in intense emotion, and they don't care about facts. They don't, they don't want to inquire. They don't want to have cool heads and say, okay, let me investigate and see what really happened here. No, we're just manipulated by media and by, by parts of a story, not the whole story. And the children of Benjamin said, they are smitten down before us. So they killed 30 of them, and so they feel overconfident now. They are smitten down before us as at the first. But the children of Israel said, let us flee. This is the strategy and draw them from the city. So they realize whenever they're in the city, they're strong. So let's, let's retreat, and they'll chase us and bring them out of the city unto the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and put themselves in array at Baal Tamar, and the liars in wait of Israel came forth out of their places. So they have liars in wait now, that as they pull them out of the city, uh, even out of the meadows of Gibeah. And there came against Gibeah, 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel. So these are the, the elite athletes and warriors. And the battle was sore, but they knew not that evil was near them. And the Lord smote Benjamin before Israel. And the children of Israel destroyed of the Benjamites that day 25,000 and 100 men. All these drew the sword. So these are all warriors that these men of the sword should be working together to fight the pagans and remove the pagans from the land. Instead, they're cozying up to pagans, cooperating with pagans, and fighting against each other, and eliminating each other, and weakening themselves before the pagans. These are the children of the covenant. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were smitten. For the men of Israel gave place to the Benjamites, because they trusted unto their liars in wait, which they had set beside Gibeah. So very good war strategy here. And the liars in wait hasted and rushed upon Gibeah. And the liars in wait drew themselves along and smote 
all the city with the edge of the sword. Now there was an appointed sign between the men of Israel and the liars in wait that they should make a great flame with smoke rise up out of the city. And when the men of Israel retired in the battle, Benjamin began to smite and kill of the men of Israel about 30 people. For they said, Surely they are smitten down before us, as in the first battle. But when the flame began to arise up out of the city with a pillar of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and behold, the flame of the city ascended up to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned again, the men of Benjamin were amazed, for they saw that evil was come upon them. So the Israelites were pretending to flee. The liars in wait came. The um, city went up in smoke. The Benjamites see that the city's up in smoke, and then Israel re-engages in the battle. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel unto the way of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them, and them which came out of the cities they destroyed in the midst of them. Thus they enclosed the Benjamites round about and chased them and trod them down with ease over against Gibeah toward the sun rising. And there fell of Benjamin 18,000 men. Remember, they started off with 26,000. There fell of Benjamin 18,000 men. All these were men of valor. And the, the author just keeps repeating this. These are men who drew sword. These are elite athletes. These are men of valor. And they're all being slaughtered, not by pagans, but by Israelite, Israel themselves. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness unto the rock of Ramon. And, you know, you read, again, the prophecy that brother will betray brother. But, it, you know, when you read here um, how it's the, the chosen men, the warriors, when brother betrays brother, it, you know, brother's going to be taking out valiant men, you know, men, men who uh, are doing valiant work for the Lord. They will be the targets. So this is, this is how Satan works. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness unto the rock of Ramon. And they gleaned of them in the highways 5,000 men and pursued hard after them unto Gidon and slew 2,000 men of them, so that all which fell that day of Benjamin were 20 and 5,000 men that drew the sword. Again, just keeps repeating. These are warriors. All these were men of valor. They're lost, gone. But 600 men turned and fled to the... This is what's left of Benjamin. 600 men turned and fled to the wilderness unto the rock Ramon, and abode in the rock Ramon four months. So full retreat, they're there for four months, 600 men. And the men of Israel turned again upon the children of Benjamin and smote them with the edge of the sword, as well the men of every city as the beast and all that came to hand. Also they set on fire all the cities they came to. Now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying, There shall not any of us give his daughter unto Benjamin to wife. So they're, they're taking this oath very, very seriously. You know, we swore, and this is the thing again, we don't take oaths seriously today. But back in the day, when you swore an oath, it really mattered. And you kept your oath. And so here they swore this oath uh, not to marry anybody from Benjamin because of the wickedness in Benjamin. But isn't it funny that, you know, they swore an oath to God about not marrying pagan women. And we read in Judges 14, again, just a sample of what's going on in Israel, that with Samson, his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you go to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, 
for she pleases me well. And again, that's just a sample. Uh, there's not just Samson, there's many of them uh, going after the pagan wives. But you know, they swore to God that they would not do this thing. But they're happy to break their oath to God. But now they swore an oath amongst themselves. They make up their own rule that they won't marry anybody from Benjamin, even though that's not, some, that's not an instruction from God. And now they must hold to that. And the people came to the house of God and abode there till even before God and lifted up their voices and wept sore and said, and wept sore and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that there should be today one tribe lacking in Israel? So now they're finally coming to their senses. You know, it's like, you know, we're going to burn our cities to the ground. We're, you know, we're going to destroy all of the merchants in our cities. And when we finally wake up the next day, we're like wondering, why, why did this happen? You know, where are we going to buy our bread and milk and our eggs? Where are our children going to go to school? Like we, we, we destroyed our own town because we're just caught up in this emotion. And that's how Satan works. He wants to catch us up in, in, in swept up in intense emotion where we can't think straight. And we have attitudes of hatred and envy and violence. That's what he wants. And this is what happened to them. And now finally, after four months, they can begin to think straight. And it's like, what have we done? We, we've actually wiped out or almost and completely eliminated one of the tribes of Israel. So why has this come to pass in Israel that there should be today one tribe lacking in Israel? And it came to pass on the morrow that the people rose early. And whenever you see rise early, it means they're motivated. And built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So even though these people are very wicked, they still have the hangover of religious routine, religious rituals, uh, but they're doing evil before God. And, and we same in the church. We have the rituals, but we do evil before God. We don't, we don't follow Torah. We make up our own rules. Yeah, I know the, I know the Bible says that, but this is what we're going to do. And the children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel that came not up with the congregation unto the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning him that came not up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. So again, they're making up their own rules here. But anybody who didn't come up to fight against Benjamin would need to be put to death. And again, you know, out of fear, then everybody complies. And we see the same thing today. You know, if you don't bow the knee to Baalim, you'll surely be put to death. And so everybody out of fear just goes along. And the children of Israel said to them for their brother and said, There is one tribe off from Israel. How shall we do for wives for them that remain? Seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them of our daughters to wife. So they've got to figure this out. If these men can't marry, can't reproduce, the tribe will surely be lost. At the same time, they're not going to give them their daughters. They've, they've sworn an oath that they won't give them any of their daughters to, to wife. And they said, what one is there of the tribes of Israel that came not up to Mizpah to the Lord? And behold, there came none to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For the people were numbered, and behold, there were none of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead. And the congregation sent there twelve thousand men of the valiantest, 
and commanded them saying, go and kill the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. This, this, is where, this is what Israel has come to. With the edge of the sword, with the women and the children. And this is, <laughs> they were supposed to go in and do this to the pagans and settle and establish the kingdom of Israel. Instead, they cooperate with the pagans and they slaughter each other, even the women and the children. And this is the thing that you shall do. And they feel righteous about it. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman that has lain by man. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins that had not known man by lying with any male. And they brought them unto the camp to Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. So uh, this is important uh, because they want to make sure that any offspring are in fact of Benjamin. If they take a woman and maybe she's already pregnant from somebody in Jabesh Gilead, and then she's married to somebody in Benjamin, they don't know for sure if that child is truly of the line of Benjamin. So they find these virgins, so that's a, quite a, a catch for them. And the whole congregation sent some to speak to the children of Benjamin that were in the rock Ramon, and to call peaceably to them. So remember, these men of Benjamin, they're not the wicked uh, children of Belial, although they did fight against Israel, but these are the men that are left. And so they're speaking peaceably to them. They've all come to their senses now. They don't want to destroy the tribe. And Benjamin came again at that time, and they gave them wives, which they had saved alive, of the women of Jabesh Gilead. And yet, so they suffice them not, because there's, you know, there's only 400 of the women. And the people repented them for Benjamin, because that the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, How shall we do for wives for them that remain? Seeing the women are destroyed out of Benjamin. And they said, There must be an inheritance for them that be escaped of Benjamin, that a tribe be not destroyed out of Israel. Howbeit, we may not give them wives of our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn, saying, Cursed be he that gives a wife to Benjamin. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the... Od oh, sorry, this is a... I just wanted to go back to Exodus here. Um, yes, so, so they, I wanted to just go to Exodus here because they have made this oath to themselves that anybody who takes a wife from Benjamin is cursed. And yet, look in Exodus 24... That when Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people, they said, they swore, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And yet they don't care about their oath to the Lord. They just care about the oaths that, the, the oaths that they make up. And again, we see this in the church as well. We don't care what the Bible says. We just care about the, the rules that we make up. And we're very, very um, concerned and very committed to our rules. But when it comes to Torah, we don't care. And then with Israel. Verse 19, 21. Then they said, Behold, there is a feast of the Lord in Shiloh yearly in a place which is on the north side of Bethel. So they're still keeping the holy days, even though they're wicked people. They still have a, a religious uh, uh, rituals about them, which is on the north side of Bethel and on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and on the south of Labona. Therefore they commanded the children of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in wait in the vineyards, and see and behold, 
If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come you out of the vineyards and catch you every man his wife out of the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. So this is the solution that they've come up with, that, hey, you can kidnap the the daughters of God's people. When they're celebrating and worshiping God and dancing before the Lord, go and kidnap them and take them for, for wives. And it shall be when their fathers or their brethren come to us to complain, so they know that's what's going to happen, that we will say unto them, be favorable unto them for our sakes. Do us a favor here. Because we reserved, we, we reserved not man his wife in the war, for you did not give unto them at this time that you should be guilty. And the children of Benjamin did so and took them wives according to their number of them that danced whom they caught or kidnapped. And they went and returned unto their inheritance and repaired the cities and dwelt in them. So just think, all of this civil war and all of destruction came from one man and the misrepresentation of his narration. And we're looking now south of the border in America, all destruction and the come from the misinformation around the story of one man, George Floyd, that the, a balanced and objective and factual representation of what happened was not delivered. Instead, misinformation was delivered, information was withheld, and people were inflamed and set to fight Americans against Americans. And everybody's at the top of their emotional uh, experience and not thinking rationally. And I'm ready to burn down the whole country. Well, this is a glimpse of the future. This, this is just a taste. What, what's that saying? That the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. So we get glimpses of what's coming. And we are heading into tribalism. And a very, very dark moment in our lives. But for those of us who know the Lord, we will do exploits. For those of us who turn many to righteousness, we will shine like the stars in heaven. So we have a bright hope and a bright future, and nothing can take that away from us. So we, we can just read the, read the signs of the times, we understand the times that we're living in, and, and we are excited about the Lord's plans, even though we have to go through this dark period. But none of the wicked will understand. We hope that we can turn more and more to repentance and righteousness. So Benjamin goes back and they repair the cities and they dwell in them and they now have their wives and they can begin to have children and rebuild the tribe. And the children of Israel departed there at that time, every man to his tribe and to his family. So the war is over, they can now go back. And they went out from then there, every man to his inheritance. And then the book ends, uh, the theme of the book, the author ends with this, in those days, there was no king in Israel. So again, obviously, at the time of this writing, there is a king in Israel. And this is written for that king. So the king can understand what is the impact of a lack of godly leadership in the nation. What happens when the, the nation does not have godly leadership? And so the author writes all of this so that the king can understand the enormous weight on his shoulders to lead the people in a godly fashion. It would be like me uh, writing something, and throughout the th- I'm writing the history of the church and what happened, and maybe th- the history of the church of God 
uh, maybe from the 1930s up to today. And when I'm writing what's going on today, or sorry, when I'm writing what's going on, you know, decades ago, I might say, in those days, the Church of God was a single monolith, and everybody worked under a single leader in those days. So just by virtue of the way that I'm writing that, it means today that's no longer the case. Today, the Church of God is splintered, and, it, and it's fractured, and it doesn't have a single leader. It's not a monolith. But in those days, it was. So the author keeps reminding us that the situation that we have today, where we do have a king in Israel, it wasn't always like this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And what was the result? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So when you have a king now across the whole nation, we can start punishing men who go against Torah. We can follow the Torah and be put to death. To death. And this Levite who caused this civil war, he should have been put to death. Maybe you know, if he was guilty of murdering his concubine, maybe he didn't want her, she's been violated, so he allows her to die or he kills her himself. If, that could, if inquiry could have been made, he should have been put to death. He certainly should have been punished, according to Torah, for his role in all of this. But no, they gave him a free pass. It's like those men, when they found the woman to Jesus, and they brought her, we found this woman committing adultery in the very act. Yeah, well, where's the man? You corrupt people. So the purpose of the king is to ensure that the people follow Torah. And we are being trained. We are going to, you know, you read Revelation 20 and verse 4, and all these martyrs, John saw them again. He saw them when they were martyred, but he saw them again. And when he saw them again, they sat on thrones. And these men and women who are successful, they will understand what it means to be a king, because Christ says he makes us kings and priests. Revelation, he makes us kings and priests before our Lord. We will understand the power and the purpose of being a king in Israel. Well, that is Judges. That is the book of Judges. And uh, wow, what a, what a journey it has been. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I think certainly it is uh, a difficult book but it's a book that we cannot ignore. It's a book that we uh, need to study. Why? Because these things are examples to us upon whom the end of the age has come. Why? So that we should not lust after evil things. Our hearts and minds should be set on the return of Jesus Christ. We should love his appearing. Our, you know, our treasure should be in heaven. Everything that we think about is when Christ returns. We shouldn't be fighting for this life, that we've got our foot is in this world. We care so much about this world and we're trying to make this world right because we want to put off the return of Christ. And then we end up lusting for evil things and, and falling for Marxism, which is really just envy and covetousness and the breaking of God's commandment. We see other people with things and we don't think they should have those things. We think those things should be evenly distributed and given to us. We're not willing to work for it. We just want it given to us. These are, this is evil covetousness, and we shouldn't fall for it. So let's, uh, Pastor Murray's ready now. Brother Murray? Hey, good evening, uh, Brother Adrian, Pastor Adrian. Good. Nice to, nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. I have my speaker on. I'm wondering if I need to put on headphones. Are you, are you not getting any feedback or anything? I personally am not. I don't know what, okay. uh, you know, I can actually hear it in the background a little bit. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe you should just uh, to be sure the the other folks don't get the uh, feedback. 
Okay. Thanks for that. Um, while I'm sorting that out, um, Brother Murray, Pastor Murray, do you want to maybe just give your thoughts on, uh, you know, I think it was quite a, quite a journey going through this book and, uh, just Israel's history is quite sorted. You go through this, um, just your thoughts are. And maybe yeah, abs absolutely. When you consider Israel is, uh, um, all the way back from, um, the covenant with Abraham all the way down through today, it is definitely a, a, a sordid history. That's for sure. Um, it certainly is a, uh, has been an eye-opening study of, of the book. Um, and I think it's important that we, we uh, understand it in the context of, of where it sits in, the, in Israel's history. Um, it wasn't that long after uh, Moses had died, and then a number of years later, uh, Joshua dies. And the, when the book begins, it's really that second generation of Israelites that uh, Joshua um, um, brings into the promised land. And um, we see it did not take long for them to um, uh, turn their back on God and get away from his word and his law. Uh, a few weeks ago in one of his, his messages, um, Pastor Bill Watson was referencing the book of Judges. And he used the phrase uh, incremental infiltration to talk about how societies change culturally yes. over time. And I think this is a great example, um, reading the book from end to end to see at the beginning when Joshua was dying and, and turning it over, we see, uh, uh, then, no, it was Caleb at the time that that was at the beginning. And um, the first judge was Othniel and things really weren't that bad, uh, but they made a mistake by not going into the land and doing everything God had said. Uh, so even though things were really bad at that time, it started them off on a on a right. on a the wrong path. And you've heard the saying, you know, um, all a plane all a plane has to do if it's leaving from uh, Los Angeles, if it's headed for New York, is turn the nose about four inches, and uh, by the end of the trip, he'll be in Miami. So exactly, um, that's really the that's really the the lessons that come out of here is just to see how far. Um, what 300 years of, of, be, of lacking uh, leadership and uh, a leadership that leads according to God's law, um, uh, what that will do. It'll be a little bit at the beginning and now down here to where uh, tribes are trying to wipe each other out. And um, in, in, just, the midst, in the shame. midst of their enemies, right? They're surrounded by right. enemies. Yeah. <laughs> friends, like, uh, with, uh, friends like that who needs enemies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very good insight. And I guess as you're talking there, it just makes me think of... Um, the church, and maybe we will look at a compromise here and a compromise there, and we don't really think much of the compromise in isolation, but as part of you know the incremental shifting away from God's word, these things add up, and that you know that one degree pointing the compass the wrong way before you know it, we end up in a completely different destination, which which will not be good. Absolutely, and um, you know, every, every we talk about understanding scripture in context. I think we need to understand our actions in context, right. and that every everything we do affects something else. And um, um, we just need to be cognizant that um, what may seem like just one small action uh, could be the tipping point. Right. The other thing that strikes me as I listen to you is again, um, you know, in those days there was no uh, no king. And so every man did what was right in his own eyes. I think it does speak to the need for leadership. In Ephesians 4, God prioritizes leadership, that when he, when he ascended, his first act, his first priority was to give gifts to men. And these gifts were leaders. Um, but I think that we live in an age now that 
we don't want leaders. We don't want leadership. Um, and so as every man does what's right in his own eyes, then what ends up happening is it's hard to get the nation to work together towards a common goal. Yeah, absolutely agree. And even one step further, um, and you see how difficult it is to be a leader uh, today. Uh, and I can't, I'm sure it was equally in, in previous times. I just I wasn't there and can't speak to that. Um, who wants to be a leader today? So not only don't people want leaders, but folks who are qualified and could do a good job at it, who wants, who wants the stress and the hassle yeah. of that? Good point. I'm just going to comment, just before I comment, though, um, brethren, we're looking for your questions and comments uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, and on cgi.online.church, and we'll integrate your <clears throat> comments and uh, questions into our, into our study here. But uh, just the other day, I heard, uh, I don't know, yesterday, the day before, um, the chief, the chief of police has resigned. I believe it was in Seattle, Ch Seattle. I thought I was going to say Chicago, Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Like, wow. You know, qualified woman, but Hey, who needs this? Yeah. So, yeah. It's... Yeah. Terrible for sure. And, uh, you know, you go back to, uh, um, the whole point of this, I was being written to Saul, uh, at the time. Um, and you know, it's summarized right there in the last verse purpose of leadership, uh, now, I don't think if you go back to Deuteronomy, God really doesn't want them to have, uh, uh, well, no, I think well, it's in Samuel. Well, he, he's their king. Yes, God is their king. Yeah. Uh, but, and, you know, look to the, he'll, he'll set up uh, prophets or leaders like he did with Moses and Joshua. Yes. Um, so don't follow the world's way of, of having a king because I'm your king and I'll set up the leadership the way I've got it. Right. But if you're going to have a king, he says in Deuteronomy 17, do it this way. Right. And and the whole purpose of that was so that it's the leader. If you go through Deuteronomy 17, it was a humble king who uh, had to actually write out God's law yes. uh, by line hand. by line, by hand, word yeah. for word. And keep it, keep it almost like keep it beside and keep it with them at all times. Yes. Like we would have in our bedside table. Yes. That's the type of leader God wants, who not yes. only knows the law, operates by the law, but he's written the whole thing out. And to um, your, um, your sermon you gave um, for conscience sake that the conscience has to be educated. The conscience is useless if it's not educated. So if, right. we're not, if we're not studying Torah, if we're not studying the instructions of Christ, how can we have a conscience that will actually accuse us and, and, and direct us? Yeah, absolutely. We have a question here. Here's an interesting question um, from a sister. Uh, did God endorse Benjamin by choosing Saul as the first king of Israel? Did God endorse Benjamin? Did God endorse Benjamin? Uh, yeah, by uh, choosing Saul as the first king of Israel? I, I, it's a difficult question to answer. I'm going to say that's not necessarily an endorsement, uh, maybe an encouragement. But when you look at the prophecies that the king ultimately will come out of the line of Judah, um, you know, then it's right from the beginning we know that this is a temporary measure. The king cannot come out of Benjamin because Christ ultimately is going to sit on that throne and he has to come through the seed of Judah. Yeah, again, I, I agree. It's a difficult question to answer. That's uh, that's uh, um, some good thoughts there. Um, obviously, um, um, Benjamin was was brought back into the fold here by by the folks. Saul t ended up not being a good king at any rate. So, uh, and it was always going to come through Judah eventually, anyways. So, yes. uh, even if Jonathan had uh, um, had assumed the throne. Uh, God would have seen to it that David would have assumed the throne. It's, uh, I'm, that's my, my belief. There, there would have to be some way for the line, yeah. the kings to come through yeah. Judah. 
Uh, there is a question um, here on YouTube, and I can't. I was going to type in the uh, the internet address that they're looking for, but uh, YouTube, you can't do that. So, uh, to the sister that uh, um, asked this question, I wish I could have heard the study from the beginning. If, is it available? Obviously, all of these studies are available at uh, CGI.org through the the uh, Bible study archive. So, feel free to go back. I think we've done. I've lost track of the number of books that you've done now. Uh, uh, Pastor Adrian, but it's got to be—it's got to be ten or twelve by now, I would think. Yeah, and and we just—we're just going to keep doing this, right? Just yep. week week by yep. week, uh, we'll cover the different scriptures. So, Devorah, if you also on YouTube, if you're on YouTube, if you just search for CGI Digital Network, then that will take you to our—I um, guess what would you call that? Our channel, YouTube YouTube channel. Yeah. yeah. So our, our yeah. YouTube channel is uh, CGI Digital Network, and if you just go to the playlist there you'll see all the different studies. Uh, no other questions yet. So yeah, folks, okay. if you have any questions, uh, we're still here. And uh, certainly it was a, a, a fabulous, uh, very fascinating study. I can't, uh, I, I've lost track of the number of times uh, our brother Deacon Jan mentioned in his messages how how uh, enthralled he was by the study. Yeah, yeah. Who, who would have thought that uh, judges would have so much for us? But I really do think that um, what, what has really struck me is that these books are written for our admonition. We, we have to go back in time to understand how to navigate the future. If we don't go back in time, the future's gonna catch us off guard. Yeah, I mean, there's that old saying, uh, those who forget their past are doomed to repeat it, and uh, God's people, mankind, first of all, and God's people uh, as a subset um, have just lived that generation upon generation we just can't seem it seems so simple and yet for some reason it's so hard yeah and you actually kicked off uh, this season with a sermon you gave on story and uh, quoting dennis prager who said you know people who do not uh teach their story to the next generation they will cease from being a people so god has taken great pains to record these stories shame on us if we're not going back over them yeah, for sure. And I, I, I think it was at least two or three times throughout the study of Judges where we noticed, uh, and you pointed out, the fact that uh, uh, they were either uh, properly referring back to their history and their story of their history, or, or purposefully not uh, uh, referring back as this uh, gentleman here did in the Judges 19, 20, and 21. Yes. Uh, so yeah, very important to stay uh, uh, linked to our history and, and as God's people, uh, um, his elect now, our history goes all the way back to these folks here and, and exactly. all the way back to Torah. So Exactly. So Pastor Murray, I have a question here from Christy Romin. As an American, it's difficult to not want to protect our rights that we know were given by God. Why is it different now than it was back then? Should we not get involved in standing for God and protecting his people. So, you know, that's a that's a an interesting question that that uh, church leaders have have debated over the years. Um, people come down to it on different sides. Um, uh, I've heard sermons recently uh, on the that we should not vote, and we are we are actually sinning by voting. And others that uh, um, say, you know, we need to we need to at least stay involved. I think, I think as the people of God, what should be foremost in our mind is doing what we can to continue to preach the gospel. So if we have an opportunity to influence um, our, our leaders um, uh, 
somehow for the purposes of promoting the gospel. Uh, I'm not here to advocate voting. I don't, I don't vote. Um, but I know, I know folks within the faith and close friends that do that's, that's their prerogative. Uh, so I'm not saying it's a, a sin not to vote or to vote. Uh, but, um, as the people of God, our mission is to preach the gospel and that, and that needs to be our, our, our focus, uh, not, uh, trying to save this world now, uh, but to do all we can to take advantage of the time while God gives it to us to, to, uh, you know, preach that, preach that gospel, not just to, to save people and bring them into the church, but to, to, uh, fulfill that, that mission of being a witness so that, um, uh, you know, uh, Christ will not come until the, this uh, message has been witnessed to the entire world. So if we want him to come back, that should be our desire is to make sure this message gets out of there. And I think it's unfortunate that so many um, have lost sight of the, the need and the imperative to preach the gospel. And, and we're getting caught up with this social justice and all kinds of other things and not preaching the gospel. But I think as an American, I think what may, Christy may also be um, alluding to, which I never understood as a Canadian, is the fact that Americans have the right to bear arms. And, you know, in, in Canada, I remember just growing up and thinking, these crazy Americans with their guns, I just never understood it. I understand it today. And I think the genius of the founders of America with the, the, the Constitution and the First Amendment and the Second Amendment uh, and these God-given rights, as Christy uh, speaks to here, so I think when it, no, no, you know, voting is, I agree with what you said on voting, and like you, I, I've, I don't vote, I've never voted. I just don't want anything to do with the governments of this world. Uh, but at the same time, I want to be very observant to how the governments of this world uh, are, are unfolding and advancing prophecy. So I pay attention. Um, but as far as um, the right to bear arms, and especially in America right now, where the cities are on fire, and, and basically, I think there's a demonic spirit that has been released and people have lost their minds and they're getting caught up with emotion, which is how Satan works. He, he, he hijacks people's thinking. So they become very violent because they're so emotional. Um, I think it's the right of uh, any sane person to protect themselves. And certainly I think if I was an American and I had a home in America, I would be at the shooting range and my family would be at the shooting range and we would know how to defend ourselves. So when these lunatics come to break down your door and want to come in, they need to know that, no, we are armed and we will protect our, 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 our homestead. So that, that is my, my feeling here, that Americans do have the right to bear arms in self-defense, that nobody has the right just to come up to you and take your life or your family's life. Uh, so I don't know what you think about that, Pastor Murray. Yeah, and you know what, it's written into the Constitution, so there's, it's certainly not uh, breaking the law to do that. Uh, up here, it's a little bit different, and um, um, we have to operate a, a little bit differently, but uh, the, the founders put that in because it was a, it was a protection against a tyrannical government. Yeah, amazing. Uh, that, that, that's why they did it. Yes. Uh, to, it was pro- help, help the people protect themselves should the government become too tyrannical. And you go back into history, uh, the Germans in the 30s, yeah. the first thing they did was was That's take right. away their guns. The Chinese, they take away their, they take away their guns. Uh, so, yeah, I certainly uh, um, uh, would uh, agree with uh, Sister Christie. Um, it, it's in the Constitution. It's not illegal. And it's uh, biblical to uh, protect yourself, for sure. What, what I, you know, the, the last question there, should we not get involved in standing for God and protecting his people? 
Um, that concerns me a little bit, and I'm not sure you know how to to take that. But again, if somebody's coming, you know, there was, I forget the couple where they were, but these guys. St. Louis. In, in, where was it? St. Louis. St. Louis. So they yeah. broke down the gate, and they're pro- and these people took out their guns to say, "Don't come near our home." <laughs> they let the perpetrators. Oh yeah, you mentioned this in your sermon. They let the perpetrators go free, and they have indicted the couple for for yeah. practicing their rights. Again. Defense is one thing. Now what we see because of the BLM movement and Antifa all over the states now, militias are forming. And people are now proactively going into the streets with their guns to protect. Uh, this, this is what concerns me. I, I see civil war. Go, go ahead, Marie. Sorry. Yeah, I was just, I was going to just agree with you. Yeah, I, I um, and again, you know, I'm come from, I come from Canada, so I can't really relate to uh, uh, militia. Yeah. Uh, it's not uh it's not in our it's not in our dna up here not i would i would i would definitely uh ag- agree with your concern about being careful there for sure about yeah. being uh being proactive proactively engaging right right yeah very very good uh, we so do have a another question here uh okay. sorry go ahead before uh, no go ahead i was going to pull up another question so why don't we uh, i'll just take this question off go ahead Sure. Yeah, there's a question here uh, on the chat from uh, Brother Jeff in Macedonia, Ohio. Is there a symbolism behind the Levite cutting the concubine into 12 distributed pieces beyond just the physical act itself? I'm not sure if I understand the question. I th- so I think if I can read into this, Brother Jeff, I, I think uh, you know twelve is a is a biblical number. It's a well, let me let me take the, word, the biblical out of that. It's a significant number, um, and he's just saying is there is there a symbolism or significance of the fact that the Levite cut it into twelve pieces? Um, yeah, I, I think the significance I, there is um, this was a great uh, folly in Israel, and he's now summoning all twelve tribes. To deal with this, so there's a he cuts it in twelve pieces to represent each of the tribes. Uh, beyond that, I, I don't know. Just to so to to engage to uh, better engage them. Yeah, and to say that this is an offense that concerns all Israel, all of us. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think they've so, never seen anything like this before. Before that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, you said you had another question. Yeah, I got a few more here. Um, will God pick a good president from Lorena? Um, so I don't know. <laughs> he hasn't told me, uh, <laughs> um, uh, just kidding there, sister Lorena. Um, you know what? God will do what he needs to do to ensure that his plan moves forward. Yes. Uh, if that means to, if, if that means to give us, uh, his people a little more time to get our act in gear, um, then the president will, and, well, and not just, not just the president, actually, it would be the house and the Senate and, uh, I think in uh, because of how the the U.S. is split into the three branches of government, I think it's equally uh, important to understand it's just just not the president. Uh, I mean, look at the last two years; uh, President Trump has been unable to do very much at all uh, uh, outside of um, outside of uh, his executive orders. So, uh, God will God will do what He needs to do to ensure that His plan moves forward, and uh, sometimes He. Uh, lets us have what we want too, and we've shown that from scriptures too. So it's hard to tell what God's going to do, or or what God will allow. I think it's important that we we see that both ways. I don't know what your thoughts are there, Adrian. Uh, I, I agree one hundred percent. The only thing that I'll add there is that uh, nobody takes these offices without God's involvement. 
For sure. And, and the president of the United States is the most powerful position in the world. So whoever occupies that office, it is only by appointment or permission of God. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be righteous people, but they will be people by God's design that God allows there. Um, go, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, just like the Chaldeans, when Habakkuk couldn't understand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He wasn't uh, endorsing the Chaldeans as godly people. But I certainly see, at least with his first term, I don't know about if he gets a second term. I, 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 you know, he came in as a businessman. I think he maybe, maybe he's becoming a politician. And basically, politicians are useless. They make a lot of promises. They say whatever they have to say. So to the extent that he remains a man focused on results for the American people, I think he has slowed the decline of America. I think he has saved America from collapse. Um, and, and maybe that's God giving us time to preach the gospel. And that's what we should certainly be praying for. Um, I think, you know, you had mentioned about the, the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, um, that it's funny that they accuse him of being a dictator while they want to take away the right to bear arms and they want to take away free speech. <laughs> that's quite, quite interesting. And you said, you alluded to it quickly, you know, when free speech is taken away, right to bear arms is taken away. That's when you get totalitarianism. So I, I think, um, you know, uh, God will, as he has it through this study, that's another thing we see in the study, God raises up judges uh, to save his people mm -hmm. so that, you know, they will return to him. But instead of returning to him, they return to evil. And I think America is the same way, that America has been given so much blessings of God, but instead of to him with all their heart and all their soul, uh, they, they go deeper into evil. And so, you know, um, whatever happens, happens. But our fate in Canada is tied to America. I think a lot of Canadian brethren don't understand this. And that America is uniquely blessed of all the empires throughout all the history of mankind. There has never been a nation blessed like America. And anybody who denies that simply hasn't studied history. So, uh, you know, globally, the Western civilization is tied to the fate of America. And when America collapses, and, it, and, and it's God's will to destroy the evil in this world, so he's not going to keep it afloat forever. But when it does collapse, we in Canada, we, we go down with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and, uh, you know, there's something to be said when the, uh, the country was founded on biblical principles. Exactly. Um, not that they were first fruits or members of the body of Christ. We don't know. Uh, uh, it doesn't seem that most of them were. There's too many laws that they broke. But, they, but there's, there's natural consequences from building your foundation on biblical laws, whether you believe in right. God or exactly. not. Exactly. It's cause and effect. Right. Exactly. Right. Okay, so you, you answered that already about voting. Looks like you have another question there. Uh, just no, I don't see one. I'm just uh, scouring all three here. Uh, I don't see any new right. questions uh, yet, brother. Thanks, Brenda, for your comment about the Bible studies. Glad that you're getting value from them. We certainly are having value. Uh, Willow Love, uh, exactly. Our citizenship is in heaven, and so many of us, I think, are forgetting that. Uh, very, very good. Uh, so Lorena just wants confirmation that we shouldn't vote. I don't think you said that. Uh, I, well, you know, I, I don't vote. I've never voted. I, I don't. I don't care to vote. Um, but I don't think you were saying that brethren shouldn't vote. I think some people feel very strongly about their right to vote, especially now. 
So I will say this, because uh, uh, it is a timely question based off of conversations I've had over the last weekend. A CGI uh, does not come out one way or the other uh, for or against voting. We leave that up to the individual. Uh, just know that uh, um, you need to do your research uh, both into the candidacies and into the scriptures to make sure that uh, what you are doing, uh, that, uh, and I would do it, if you're going to choose to vote, I would do it prayerfully and make sure that uh, um, uh, you're aligned with God on this, but uh, we don't come out for or against it. Even though I personally can say that I don't, uh, uh, we don't, uh, uh, we don't, we don't say that it's, uh, it's, it's wrong to vote. I think what would be wrong is putting a carnal man ahead of a brother or sister in Christ and fighting a brother or sister in Christ for the sake of a carnal man. I think, you know, you vote, vote how you vote, but don't put them before brethren. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Don't, uh, don't get into disputes over it. Don't put uh, somebody else, yeah, anybody ahead of the brethren. And uh, my opinion, and I'll say this is my opinion only, uh, do your research into the party policies uh, because yeah. uh, uh, there are there are gargantuan sin sin like uh, <laughs> sinful policies yes. like abortion that exactly. you do not want. I would not want to have to stand before Jesus Christ and and uh, have to explain that I endorsed policies. But there are wrong policies on also on That's many right. sides. So. But you look at things like human trafficking and uh, mm -hmm. it's just it's horrible. Uh, so Willow Love, exactly. God chooses the leader as Daniel states. So God raises up kings and he takes down kings. And so nothing happens. These offices are not uh, just happenstance, especially when you're dealing with the most powerful offices in the world. Uh, great. So Devorah says we answered the question. And let's see what else is here. Wisdom and prayer is a mess. Must absolutely love the feedback from the brethren. This is great. I, I th there's a comment. I don't know if it's a question. I'll, I haven't. I'll just read it as I'm seeing it here. If a person does vote, it, oh, okay, it's just a comment. If a person does vote, it should be from the knowledge and principles of the candidate and not from emotions. Uh, yes, right. absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yes. And as we see through judges as well, that you know some of the candidates don't have the greatest character, but they're 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 working in the purpose of God, and mm -hmm. the purpose of God is to advance His plan for Israel. So Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, uh, another factor, uh, if you choose to vote, would be uh, does the does the candidate support or would it further the ability for us to preach the gospel? Uh, if if there are candidates or policies that would would uh, restrict or limit or, or pull the gospel off off of uh, airwaves or off off uh, websites. Yes, exactly. Um, that's uh, got to be a that, priority. That's, a, that's, that's an indication, too. Exactly right. And again, the scripture says we should pray so that we can do our work peacefully in the Lord. So that's right. Very, very good. I think uh, that's, I think maybe just one more came in. So sometimes I can't see which the order they come in. Let me see if it's at the bottom. I just saw something come in. Can you see on your end? Uh, uh, so um, I don't, I can't see the Facebook ones, um, or at least not the ones you're showing. Uh, there's nothing on YouTube and nothing new on uh, YouTube and nothing new in the uh, uh Church online uh, chat room. Okay, good. So, yeah, very, very good. So, brethren, I think we'll we'll conclude here. That's the book of Judges. Um, I'm going to um, pause now for the rest of August, and then, God willing, in September, we're going to return to Psalms. So, we'll return to the Psalms, and then I think after Psalms, we want to return to Isaiah, finish off Isaiah, then go back to Psalms, and then, God willing, we'll see where we're directed 
after that. So uh, this will be the last study um, for August. And then God willing, we'll pick up the study again. But do join us on the Sabbath at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, where we will have our regular Sabbath service, and we'll continue to do that, uh, God willing, through the month of August. Pastor Sounds Murray, good. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you thank for you, all, your, all your hard work on your studies. And thank you as well. And love your messages and support, and just really grateful for the opportunity to work alongside you. Take care. Take care, everyone. Okay, God brother, bless. God bless. Take care.